This morning, we are going to wrap up uh, the series on Jonah. And what I really like to do is to uh, fly over the book of Jonah, all four chapters, not all of them, but some of the verses there, and to tie the message of Jonah to the mission of our church. So that's the goal. Try to show how the message of Jonah somehow tied up to the mission of our church. And here's the mission of our church that you see up on the screen. It's really about make, mature, and multiply disciple makers of Jesus. And then we have also given a definition of a disciple maker. What a disciple maker would look like. And through what we call the eight characteristics of disciple makers. In fact, the banners that you see on this side, there are four of them. And the four of them that you on the other side are the eight characteristics of disciple makers. And this morning, I would like to show you at least some of them, how some of them relate to the message of Jonah. So with that, I invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Jonah. And if you are using the church Bible, which we call the blue Bible here, and you will find that on page uh, 982. The book of Jonah in the Old Testament, you will find that on page 982. Let's begin with the first three verses in chapter 1 to set the scene. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You see, just from those three verses, we learn quite a bit about Jonah. First, as a prophet, he was among a small group of privileged individuals who heard directly from God. You see, in the days of the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came and rested on certain individuals, not on everyone as we have it today. In fact, today, the Spirit of God indwells in all the believers. But in the Old Testament days, it dwelt on certain individuals. And Jonah was one of those privileged individuals as a prophet. As a result, he heard directly from God. So Jonah was a privileged individual. God chose him to be his mouthpiece. That's a great privilege. Second, Jonah recognized beyond any doubt what he received was God's word. He says that there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So beyond any doubt, he recognized what he received at the time was God's word and nothing else. 
Third, Jonah understood what that word said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Jonah was a privileged individual. He heard from God. There was no doubt it was God's word. And there was no doubt what the message was. So what was the issue? The issue, of course, was disobedience. Disobedience to God's word. So, you know, as I, as I said to myself, I started thinking, all kinds of names to call Jonah. Was he a jerk? That he, he knew it was God's word. He was a privileged individual. He knew exactly what the word of God said, yet he chose to obey. What would you call such a person? Was he stupid? Was he somehow insane that he would actually disobey God's word? You know, there was a time in my life, you know, when I, would, when I would read these, all of these, you know, appearance of angels and the noises and all kinds of different things. I would say to myself, if an angel were to come today, I would definitely obey the way that they're obeying. But here there was no doubt. It was from God, yet he disobeyed. So I started calling him a fool, a stupid guy, a jerk, and an insane guy, and out of his mind, all kinds of different things, until I realized I am Jonah, and Jonah is I. You know why I said that to myself? Because I am just as privileged an individual as Jonah was. Let me prove that to you. For example, you will see up on the screen, there are about 7,097 languages in the world today. Of which 3,223 of them have the Bible. And of those 3,223 of them, only 636 of them have the whole Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And about 1,442 of the 3,223 have New Testament only, and then 1,145 have portions of the stories of Bibles and nothing else. You see, if you take that 636 divided by 7,097, that comes out to be about 9%. Since I speak the English language, by the way, I am among the 9% of the people of the world today who are privileged to have the whole Bible in the language that I am able to speak and understand. Therefore, I'm just as privileged as Jonah was in having the Word of God in my hand. There's no doubt when I read the Bible that this is actually the Word of God. 
There was no doubt that when Jonah heard, it was the word of God. And there's just, just similarly, there's no doubt when I read the Bible that it is the word of God. There was no doubt what the message said when Jonah heard the word. And there's no doubt what the Bible says when I read it and understand it in my own life. Moreover, we have all kinds of resources to study and understand the Bible today. We have commentaries. We have concordances. We have materials for personal devotions and for small groups. We have printed resources. We have online resources. We have the Bible in the palm of our hands, and it's mobile. It comes with us wherever that we go. There are no shortages of Bible. In fact, there was one verse that I wanted to look at in different Bible translations, and I went to the uh, BibleGateway.com, and I looked at all the English Bibles, and I, I said, I cannot go through all of these. There are just so many of them. So let's ask the question. With all of these resources, we know for sure this is word, God's word. We know for sure we have the resources to study and understand what God's word says. Then the question is, how many of us can honestly say, I make it a priority to obey the word of God in my life? I cannot, can you? That's why I am Jonah, and Jonah is I. But God, though, on the other hand, has placed a very high premium on obedience. In fact, we can study the Bible all we want. We can use all the commentaries that we all we want. We can even study the Bible in the original Hebrew language and the Greek language all we want. At the end of the day, if there's no obedience, what good is it? Listen to what Jesus had to say in John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Ouch. I have his commands. But it's, if not obeying them, then Jesus says, we are failing what is called the love test. It is not about having God's commands, the Bible in our hands. It's about obeying them. And obedience is a test of whether or not we love God, it says this particular verse. By the way, I was not far-fetched when I thought about calling Jonah a fool by implication, calling myself a fool, because Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 7, 
beginning in verse 27. And listen to what Jesus had to say. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, meaning obeys them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, meaning does not obey them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Those who obey God's word are wise. Those who don't are foolish. I am Jonah, and Jonah is I. Furthermore, speaking to the religious leaders of the day, chief priests and elders of the people, Jesus said this in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 28. He talks about a parable of two sons, and he says, a man had two sons. And he went to the first one and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And when he entered the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Jesus asked, here's the question. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And these chief priests and the elders of the people said, the first one. You see, this, here's another one. So when we obey God's word, we are doing God's will. When we disobey, we are not doing God's will. And one more thing. Obedience to God's word brings blessing, says the Bible. And I find that in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what are we hearing here? Obedience of the word of God is somehow related to how we love God. Those who obey are wise and those who disobey are foolish. And when we disobey, we miss out on on doing God's will. When we obey, we are doing God's will. 
And when we obey, we are blessed. It is for these reasons we have included obedience as one of the characteristics of disciple makers. And it's the third one on, the right, on my right hand side, your left hand side. And you will see that disciple makers obey the word of God. They live out the biblical truths received through study and prayer. And depending on their maturity, they also shepherd others to do the same. So, are you a studier of this word of God or a bearer of the word of God? Are you a user of concordances and commentaries and original languages and whatever else? Or are you actually a bearer of the word of God? And that's the challenge for us. And Jonah's challenge was exactly that. He totally, totally disregarded what God said to him. And that got him into all kinds of trouble. So here as we call in all of us to grow and mature and become disciple makers, we are calling all of us, myself included, to obey the word of God that we study in our daily lives. So that's the first way in, by which the message of Jonah relates to the mission of our church. Jonah was a negative example. He did not obey. He disobeyed. And we learn from that negative example and try to obey the word of God. The second way by which the message of Jonah ties back to the mission of the church is this. Disciple makers share the gospel with unbelievers. That's the first banner on this side, to my left, to your right. You see, what did God ask Jonah to do? God basically said, go, arise and go to the great city of Nineveh. And call out against it. God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. A pagan nation at the time. And share his word with its people. That's all God asked. In the modern day language we would say God asked Jonah to evangelize. And he refused. But you know, the intriguing question here is, why did Jonah, who was a prophet, and whose job really is to hear from God directly, Holy Spirit rested on him, and therefore he had the ability to hear directly from God, and his job really is to receive from God and then share with the people. And that was his job. That was his job description. So it's kind of very intriguing that he chose to totally, totally disobey. 
And why did he do this? And the answer, I think, we don't have to guess. The answer actually is in the, given in the Bible in that story. It begins in chapter 3, verse 10. So again, in a disobedience, and Jonah was thrown into the, uh, into the ocean, and the uh, great fish swallows him and spits, it out, spits him out uh, again in the dry land, and he ends up going to Nineveh, and he cries out, and, and people are turning to God left and right. Unbelievable. A pagan nation is turning to God left and right. And then Jonah sees this. That's where we pick up the story here, chapter 3, verse 10. When God, when, when God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And it, here it is. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah could not stand the thought of Ninevites receiving God's mercy and being forgiven by him. He says that he would rather die or rather be dead than being alive and seeing the Ninevites repenting and coming to know God. Why? Is it hatred? Is it prejudice? Is it racism? Is it lack of understanding of God's heart for the lost? In fact, this happened to me and other staff members in my former church. I was in the former church in Massachusetts, you know, when the 9-11 happened. And so, a few days later, we had our normal staff meeting, and one of the staff members was kind of late and came into the staff meeting and said, we should all pray for bin Laden's salvation. And everybody went, what? To be honest, we couldn't bring ourselves to doing it. We changed the conversation and we, we moved on to something else. Sure, the, the country of Nineveh, they were enemies of the Jewish people. They have done terrible things. They have done bad things. But understanding God's heart for the lost 
is different than intellectually knowing God. For example, Jonah intellectually understands God because he quotes an Old Testament. It's found in Deuteronomy. It's found in Psalms and all of that. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that. He had memorized it. He didn't have the you know, our, our iPhones to take it with him. He had memorized this whole thing. He intellectually understood God's heart for the lost. But his heart was not aligned with God's heart for the lost. As someone has once said, his heart is not broken by the things that break God's heart. That was a problem. How about you and I? Jonah had some barriers that prevented him from sharing God's word with an unbelieving nation and its people. What are our barriers, yours and mine today, that prevent us from sharing God's word? In this case, the gospel. We are the holders of the gospel. So what are some of the barriers that we are facing today in sharing the gospel with unbelievers? Let's examine a few of those, and there are perhaps many more. By the way, some of the quotes that you see in the slides that would follow come from a book called Concentric Circles of Concern, uh, by Dr. Oscar Thompson. And so when you see something within quotation marks, please know that those come from uh, his book and including the page numbers. So here's the first one that I want to raise as a barrier. How about broken or ruptured relationships? That was a problem for Jonah. He hated the Ninevites. So here's the question that I have. Do you have people in your lives whom you don't like? Whom you don't want to see come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and thus don't want to share the gospel with them? In fact, this, you know, several months ago, I taught a class called Disciple, make, Disciple Making. And one of the things that we do is actually uh, take a stock of all the relationships that we have. You know, myself and immediate family and, and people who are related to us and associates and co-workers and neighbors and, you know, all of those different things. And uh, so you do the homework and come back to the next class and ask the question, did you intentionally leave out anybody from this list? Because you didn't want to think about them. The relationship was broken. The relationship was ruptured. So surveying all our relationships and making sure, I ask the question, are there relationships in my life such that I, I don't want to even talk to them? And therefore, I don't want to go and talk to them about the gospel. 
It's awkward. I hate them. I don't like them. And in his book, Dr. Oscar Thompson says this, when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, you forfeit forever the right to choose whom you will love. Do you believe that? Here's another question that he asked. If there are ruptured relationships between you and others, there's going to be a rupture of the flow of the Holy Spirit through your life. Again, if you object to that, have an issue with Dr. Thompson. I'm just quoting. Think about that. So taking stock of our relationships and putting them right is an important step in evangelism. Second, is it fear of rejection or failure? Is that a problem? You see, at the heart of this question is another question. Do we really trust or believe in the greatness of our God? Because it is a work of the Holy Spirit to convict unbelievers of their sin and their need for a savior, not ours. Why do we feel somehow we have to win the argument and win somebody over to Christ? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is capable of converting, bringing someone else to repentance. It's our job simply to share. So do we really trust or believe in the greatness of our God to do this? Further, the God who created the universe and placed each star in its place is capable of bringing unbelievers into the saving knowledge of his Son. So here's the exercise. Take stock of how much you and I really trust God and his greatness. Because that is so important for sharing the gospel with unbelievers without fear of rejection or failure. Number three. Is it not taking seriously God's conditions for salvation? Or the fate of the people who are lost and not feeling the urgency to reach them? See, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. That's the condition of salvation. The apostle Peter declared, there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's the condition of salvation. The apostle John said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the condition of salvation. Do we really believe these with our whole heart and mind? If you did, 
we will recognize the fate of the lost and thus the urgency to share the gospel with them. You see, I had a friend back in the Boston area. She was, uh, she was from Indonesia. And uh, her parents were Buddhists, actually, not Muslim. They were Buddhists in Indonesia. And so she came to study here in the United States, and through the work of Christians here, she had become a Christian. And as a result, she had developed this great burden because she understood this. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And so she had developed this burden to bring her parents to Christ. So she would pray and every chance she got, she would go back to Indonesia and share the gospel with them, plead with them, come with them, brought her parents over here so that others would have influence and all of that. And one day, back in Indonesia, where she was here in the U.S., her dad passed away. So she went for the funeral. And then she came back because she was a member of our congregation at the time. And I kind of reached out to her and we, we had a chat. And as she was sharing her burden, and when she verbalized, my dad passed away without knowing Christ. And she just burst into tears. And through the tears, she told me, Pastor David, I will never, ever see him again. That's the reality. That's the reality. Do you have family members, relatives, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and other associates who do not know Christ today? That's reality. And if you realize that, if you recognize that, then we want to share the gospel with unbelievers with great urgency. Number four. Is it excuses such as, I am not good at talking. Let me just pray and live a morally upright life before unbelievers. Hopefully that would do it. Have you thought about that? But here's what I love what Dr. Oscar Thompson says. Then you are going to have to live a better life than Jesus did. Because he not only lived the gospel, he talked about it also. And he goes on to say, if you lived a good life and no one knows the source of that power in your life, you would have lost the battle. We all have a testimony. Minimally, we can tell that to others. Number five, is it not grasping the depth of God's love for the lost? This was one of the lessons that Jonah had to learn. 
Because Jonah did not realize the, the depth of God's love for this pagan nation, Nineveh, and its people. You know, Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, that's the last verse in the story. God asks Jonah a question. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And that question is actually left unanswered. We have no idea how Jonah answered that question. Now the question that I have for all of us is that do we want to leave that question hanging as well without answering that particular question? Let's, let's bring it down to us. Should I not pity Midland? That great city in which there are more than 45 thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much businesses? How about this? Should I not pity this tri-city area in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Should I not pity Midland County in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Jonah directly received the word of God from God. We have received the word of God from God and it's the form of this Bible. Jonah clearly understood what the message of God said. Go to that great city and cry out against it. The message is very clear. Share the gospel with the unbelievers. And that's the question. What do you want to do? What do I want to do? What do you want to do? You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, you and I have received mercy and forgiveness from God even though we do not deserve it. Therefore, the message of Jonah is those who have received mercy and forgiveness from God must pass that mercy and forgiveness to others. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return. As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish. So he is giving more time for everyone to repent. You know, as I, as I read through this one, I said to myself, you know what? 
God has actually even delayed the second coming of Jesus so that there is time to share the gospel with the unbelievers so that they also get to repent and choose Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, are we willing to do that? That's why we have made this as one of the eight characteristics of disciple makers here at Midland Evangelical Free Church. It's on this side, the very first one, and the definition is this. Disciple makers share the gospel with unbelievers. They make the most of every opportunity to evangelize. And then help others or lead others to do the same. You know, after the death of Dr. Oscar Thompson, he died in 1980. And there was so much demand for the material that he taught. His wife ended up partnering with somebody else in writing that book. So it came in a book form after his death. And his wife, Carolyn Thompson Richman, also ended up publishing a study guide. And I have borrowed, so if you grab the insert that's in your bulletin, it actually comes from her study guide. And for us to wrestle with some of the barriers that we might be facing in sharing the gospel with unbelievers. I have titled this, Barriers to Sharing the Gospel with Unbelievers, a Self-Evaluation Tool. And let me read that paragraph there and to get the point here. Many of us have difficulties sharing the gospel. We need to get these difficulties out in the open so we can deal with them. Below are listed some reasons why we do not witness more effectively. Read through to see where you are right now. Make or mark either a problem or not a problem. If you really want to work through the problem areas of your life, Find someone else who wants to become an effective witness and ask that person to become your accountability partner. Share your weaknesses in witnessing with each other. Pray for each other and hold each other accountable for working through these hindrances to witnessing. And then she goes on to say, never, never say, I can't. Because if you say, I can't, in all probability, you won't. And then she goes on to give you a list of things. I hope that you get to do that particular exercise. And also this summer, in fact, Pastor Jeff started to teach today. And the pastoral team is joining forces to teach a class called The Questions Skeptics Ask. It began today. Because one of the things that we run into is that you know, the unbelievers are asking all kinds of questions. How do we answer them? And so to help us get a handle on that, this class is being offered. It started today. If you missed the first one, it's okay. Go ahead and make it a point to make it a priority to attend starting next week. It's at 9 o'clock before this particular worship service. My brothers and sisters, this is my call to action, if you will. Take advantage of these opportunities. Grow in your faith. Become disciple makers. Obey the word of God. Share the gospel with unbelievers. You know why? Because the eternity of so many people is dependent 
on our obedience to God's word and sharing the gospel with unbelievers. As you look across the Western world, really, one thing that they say is that evangelical Christians who are in evangelical churches are not evangelizing. Let Midland Free be a different church that we would obey the word of God and share the gospel with unbelievers. In a minute, you will sing this song, Oceans. I chose this song and recommended it to the worship leader uh, today because, you know, for many of us, sharing the gospel is like walking on water. Let's face it. But the song goes like this. For I am yours and you are mine. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you could call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. May that be our prayer. May that be your prayer. May that be my prayer as we sing this song to the Lord.